0: Malachi chapter 3 verse 13. Your words, he's talking to rebellious sons of men. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. You ever heard somebody say that? What's the point? What's the point of going to church? What's the point in serving God? What's the point in reading the Bible and witnessing and no one's listening? No one wants your tracks. You ever heard someone say that? It's vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts, you know, grieving our sins. And you ever been so discouraged and so down and just wonder, what's the point of serving the Lord? It looks like no one else wants to serve the Lord, you know, and you start to think, I'm the only one. But remember what the Lord said to Elijah when he said that, remember? He said, Elijah, I've got 7,000 prophets that haven't bowed the knee. You're not the only one. But we can get to feeling like that at times. And this is what the enemies of God were saying. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. (laughs) That is right up to the time that we live in right now. The proud. They that work wickedness. They're the ones that's on top right now. They're the ones that's getting all the exposure. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Looks like they're getting away with it. Seems like people who do wrong are the ones that are getting ahead in this life. And the people who are trying to do right, going around and mourning their sin and all that, seems like we're on the bottom. Verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord, that's you and me, spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. I'd like to preach for a few moments tonight on the theme a light in the darkness. Let's have a word of prayer. Our God and Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand up here. I'm not worthy, just a mouthpiece. I'm thankful for this message. I pray that you'd use it to cheer us up, to comfort our hearts, deliver us from discouragement, Lord, deliver us from those feelings sometimes of just thinking, what's the point? And we go on week from week and We try to serve you, and it seems like in these last days we're getting little results. But, Lord, help us just to keep our eyes on you, to keep our thoughts fixed on you, and to keep coming back for fellowship together and being strengthened uh, from week after week and and as much as we can get together, Lord. I pray that you'd use our fellowship to strengthen us. We thank you, Lord, that you see us as being precious, as being jewels. And one of these days you're going to make up your jewels. And you're going to display us. And we don't think much of ourselves, Lord, but it's, it's your grace and what you're going to do through us and, and in us. And you're going to make us into precious, valuable keepsakes. And Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Tonight, I'm going to use an outline that comes from a preacher by the name of Alfred P. Gibbs. I'm adapting his outline. I just want to let you know that up front. Give credit to where it's due. But I studied his book, uh, The Preacher and His Preaching. I think I've probably read it three, maybe four times. It's what was assigned to me when I was in Bible college. And it's a great outline, and I think it's going to be helpful to us. But I just want to let you know up front that I'm using it. But, you know, I'm going to use the bones, but I'm going to put my own meat on there, all right? These were dark times for Israel, the book of Malachi. This is the last book in the Old Testament This is the last time that the oracles of God are put out into a written form and given to God's people. After this, God goes silent on his people. There's no further revelation for about 400 years until Jesus shows up at his first advent. This is a time when Israel had uh, for years been back in their land. They had returned from Babylon. You know, they set up the the temple and they had that going and and they had temple worship going and, and everything that was involved there. But by this time, worship had become mechanical and, and heartless. Israel's spiritual leaders really uh, weren't into it. And um, this was a time when God's people, Israel, was backslidden, and they were cruel in their treatment to others. And the Lord lays these charges against them in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against, here's, here's what they were guilty of, sorcery. Witchcraft. Drug use is involved in that. And against the adulterers. That's a twisting, a perversion of the natural use of the body. And uh, and, and a failure to keep, you know, an adulterer is someone who who will not keep their vows. Someone who's unfaithful. No commitment. Not, Not a low level of commitment, no commitment to promises, adulterers, and against false swearers. <laughs> you know, we say, oh, it's just a little lie, just a little white lie. No. God takes it very seriously. But these are people who are swearing to do something in, in a binding agreement, legal obligation, we're swearing falsely. Maybe we're standing before the elders of the village or something and, and, uh, and, and making a false witness to condemn somebody who was innocent. That happened with Jesus. All of his trials were illegal. You know, All those witnesses that they brought up, trumped up charges, weren't any truth to them. Every one of those was illegal and false witnesses, false swearers. And against those that oppress the hireling... In his wages. You guys know a lot more about that than I do, but that's exactly what's happening today. Pressing the hireling in their wages. The widow, not taking care of widows. These are things that God takes very seriously. And the fatherless, they were oppressing children. And that turn aside the stranger from his right. God wanted them to take care of strangers because there was a time when they were a stranger before God brought them into their own land. So they're not taking care of the strangers. And look, he says, and fear not me. If you want to know what God is talking about with those who fear the Lord and those who do not fear the Lord, the people who do fear the Lord, we avoid those offenses The people who do not fear the Lord, they say, I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me. And they commit all of these crimes against humanity. And so the Lord of hosts says that uh, you're guilty and I'm going to bring judgment. These are dark days in Israel's time. But you know, we live in dark days today, don't we? I thought about sitting down and writing down several illustrations of just how dark it's getting. Man, it's getting dark out. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad would tell me, now son, when it starts getting dark out, you start making your way home. You know, and how many of you have heard this before? When the street lights come on, I want you in this door. You know, that was the rule with me too. And I might have been miles away. I'm telling you, I would go on bike rides with my friends and we would ride miles Away from my house, I was into cruising the dirt roads before I even had a car, and we'd be we'd we'd just go and get lost. And all the other all you know, some of our friends would get scared, and we'd laugh at them and be like, "Don't worry, we'll come out somewhere on a road that we know." But uh, when it started getting dark, my dad would start telling me, "Get home, don't go out there too far." And there were times when I got out there a little too far, coming back in the dark, you know. And I was still young, and I'd get scared of the dark sometimes. But you know, it's getting pretty dark out, and it's pretty scary. So I thought I'd just ask you, just quickly as we open this thing up, can you give me an example of darkness in the world that we live in today? I would just give you a couple of categories. Moral darkness, spiritual darkness. So yes, Everett. Yes, we walk on the dark on the side that, where the sun is on the other side, and we're on the dark side, that's right. That's a good illustration of it. Amen. Yes, sir? She was kicking drug needles out of the road, coming up and the church. And you walk from your house up to the church kicking drug needles out of the way. That's that's sad, isn't it? It's scary. It's scary. Satan running people crazy and destroying lives. What's another one? The darkness is when these people are going out killing people for no reason at all. Little kids, babies, uh, etc. etc. Okay, yep. So the school shootings, uh, mass shootings in malls, things like that. People killing people, innocent lives, just senseless killing. I'm just repeating it just for the sake of the recording. Okay, anyone else? Drugs, just rampant drug use. Perversion Perversion of gender and family. Yes, all that. I hate to even talk about it. I talk about it a lot. Yes, and Adam? yes 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 that's true yeah my 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 friend went to a graduation and then there was a some kind of a graduation show that his daughter was involved in and they were dancing around in bikinis and saying swear words in a public performance at a high school I don't know. I don't know if they did that when I was a kid or not. I don't think swear words were okay, and I don't think bikinis would have been okay, but times are changing. Anything else? He was embarrassed. He this kept his eyes down. Turn yes. Yeah. Countries turned. A, so a country that was founded on the Bible in a little over 200 years turned it back on God. Yeah. And making laws against him. And against his word. Yes. So a lot of good examples. I think last year Planned Parenthood put out their latest report. Last year around 375,000 children were murdered in the womb. That means that women are murdering their children in their own wombs. That's horrific. That's awful. Up to 63 million now total. It's getting dark out there. Two point four percent. There you go. Hate crimes against the Jews, and how much was the percentage? Fifty-five percent of hate crimes in this nation are against the Jews. Fifty-five percent of hate crimes are against the Jews, which are only two point five percent of our population. So, getting dark there. Hate crimes. A lot of that going on. A lot of hatred. They're calling good evil and evil good. You know. So these are dark times, yes, uh, yes, sir. We went to graduation in Marysville last night. Four hundred sixty-nine kids graduated, mm-hmm. senior class, and God's name wasn't mentioned once. Mm. Yeah. No, prayer. no prayers, no nothing. Yeah. Amen. Very, very speaking, if my graduation, a preacher, okay. So brother Brother Dave, how old are you again? 70 I graduated, in graduated in 62. Every speaker at your graduation was a preacher. Given the speeches. Except school, Except school officials. And then brother Randy, you just went to a graduation, God's name's not even mentioned. Not even acknowledged. Yeah, from 1963. Okay. So, let me... Yes, sir. Yes, buddy. Um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, and you... It's probably a word that you used earlier. Yeah, vulgar. It's a good word for it. It's kind of jungle music. You can't even put words to it. Yeah. And those are kids. There's, uh, there's kids there. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in high school, but they're still children. There's little, there's children there watching all that. Kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's unreal. Yeah, and it's not. Even we're not angry with. And, and dancing to it and, Yeah. And it should make you angry. It should make you angry. Yes. Not angry with sinners, but angry with the sin and angry at the devil. I just can't even imagine what the Lord thinks. Yeah. Yes. I saw another hand real quick. Okay. So, pretty, pretty dark picture that we all just tried to paint together. And I'm glad I didn't just try to get up here and have a couple of illustrations. That was better. So, now, let me try to put a positive spin on that, okay? All right. My first point, we're going to look mainly at verses 16 and 17. But my first point is this. Even in the darkest days, God has a remnant. You know what a remnant is? A small group of people that are still faithfully worshiping the Lord and thinking on the Lord and serving, on the, serving the Lord. A small group of people that are still loving God and converted You know, he still has his remnant, no matter how dark the days, He had his remnant right here in verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord. You see? Malachi has been preaching against the majority of his nation, which has turned against God. But then he said, but in verse 16, there is a remnant, there's a small group within that nation that still feared the Lord. And folks, that's what we have here in church tonight. We have a remnant of people. Who are saved and still fear the Lord. And God is still saving people in the midst of all this darkness. He's still reaching down. You know, when he reached down his hand for me. He's still reaching down and he's still plucking out brands from the burning. Still saving souls. But you know what? God tonight is, yes, he's angry with the wicked every day. But God tonight is looking in on his faithful people, his remnant who still fear the Lord. He's interested in us tonight and what we're doing here. You know, you you look at, um, I think we've pretty much covered these verses, but you look at verse uh, 13 again, and we we read that, but those are his enemies speaking blasphemies against him. And then also in verse 7, uh, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances. These are the majority of the people within their nation. They had walked away from God and walked away from following His word and have not kept them. He says, return unto me and I will return unto you. He's still calling them back, pleading with them tenderly. Return to me, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? You see? A nation of people who had hardened their necks against God. But there was this faithful remnant even in the darkest days. Listen, God's got little churches like this dotted all over this nation. Maybe more of them on the east coast than on the west coast. Not so much up in New England. A lot of them down south. But God's got his people. He's got his remnant. And if you could put all of God's people in the whole country together, we'd look around and be like, man, there's a lot of people who still love the Lord in this country. There's a lot of people who are still reading their Bibles. A lot of people who are still praying. People still witnessing. But you know, we're just here in our own little corner of the world. But just be encouraged that just like Elijah, when he said, God, I'm the only one still faithfully standing for you. He said, no, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Okay, Elijah, you're not the only one. So even in the darkest days, God's got his people. My second point is this the godly will take every opportunity to get together for fellowship. In verse 16, it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake how often? (laughs) I've ruined it. (laughs) Spake how much? Often, often one to another. So, the godly get together whenever they can for fellowship. That's fellowship when you speak to one another. Now, I know, uh, I should have worn my my body pack. I want to move now. I know that, you know, we're all seated like this. You're all looking at the back of everybody's head, okay? And, And when you got me sitting in front of you, you can't see anything, you know. Put my bald spot in the back of my head. You can't see anything. But we're seated like this, but this is conducive to hearing the word of God, because actually that's the main purpose of our service is to hear the word of God. But we come together and we speak with one another. A church that won't speak to one another is not having fellowship. And, you know, and I'm always encouraged after a service when we have a real good service, you know, and and I didn't lay an egg with the sermon. And people go out of here and kind of just, you know, a little bit uh, kind of a... you know, just perky and, and happy and, and talking with one another. I always like to see that. People just tarrying for a while after the service and talking to one another. And just talking about the Word of God, about the Bible, about the situation in the world. I love to see that. And you know, the Lord does too. He loves to see it when His people get together and speak often one to another. Because that's the old ironing, iron sharpening iron. That's how we strengthen each other and we encourage each other. And the longer you're saved, the longer you're in church, you're going to realize, yes, the, the preacher and the preaching is important, but the fellowship with Christians is just as important the longer you're saved. Spake one to another. The godly takes every opportunity for fellowship. You know... I would just encourage you to come to everything that you can. I'm not being legalistic about this. No one's going to judge you or look down on you if you, don't, if you don't come to everything. But I would encourage you to come to everything. Come to the revival meeting when we get together. Come to the, the dinner, you know, the fellowship meal that we're going to have down at the park. Come as often as you can because for one thing, the Lord looks on it and the Lord is pleased. And I would encourage you also, when you do come, open up to one another and talk. Now, let me say just a couple of little uh, qualifiers, uh, for, especially for the younger people. You don't have to tell everything you know. I used to always tell my nephew Tanner that. Tanner, you don't have to say everything that's up in your head, you know. But that's what he would do. He'd tell on you, tell, tell everything he knows There's some wisdom and some tact, you know, as far as how close you bring people into your life. But just speaking one to another, you know. And then I would also say this. Let's love covers a multitude of sins. So what I do not mean is I don't mean coming together and telling everybody's dirt, you know telling all the dirt that you got on everybody and everything that you know about what's going on. A lot of times uh, people appreciate just being able to come into a fellowship and and just to know that uh, the people are, you know, not talking about them when they, when they go home. You know, I always joke around with people and they say, well, uh, sorry, preacher, I'm not going to be here at that. I used to joke around like this. I'm not going to be here at that next meeting. And I say, that's all right. We'll talk about you when you're gone, you know. But if you're going to say something about somebody, say a kind word. And if, if it seems like it's personal business to them, it doesn't need to be spread to anyone else. We really got to watch that. Because the devil is just looking for any opportunity to just get a hoof in and, and spoil our fellowship and hurt somebody. So we don't want to do that. We want to be careful with each other's hearts. That's all I'm saying. But speak often one to another I don't, I don't get it. I don't like it. But I, but I, I realize people might be hurt and, and are going through different things in their lives. But some people just come into church with their Bible. And bless God, they just walk right out afterwards with their Bible. I'm glad you brought your Bible. But there's other things to come into church. And one of those is fellowship and staying and talking to one another. I don't like to see it when people just bolt out right after the service and just head to the parking lot. But I understand in certain situations there's reasons why people do that. But I just see in the Bible that the Lord is pleased when, they, when we speak with one another. The godly take every opportunity for fellowship because it strengthens us. It encourages us. And sometimes the Lord has a word for you that comes from somebody else in the congregation. Amen. And it just comes right at the right time. Maybe an encouragement, something that comes. Maybe sometimes pointing out something that you know they see something in your life and they see where you're about ready to stick your foot in something that stinks you're about ready to fall into a pitfall you know i just want to caution you about this there's all kinds of different ways that god uses his people to help one another need to speak to one another thirdly this is of great interest to god his remnant, their fellowship, it's of great interest. Notice in verse 16, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another and the Lord hearkened and heard it. He's listening in. He's interested, not just a little bit, he's greatly interested. It's like the Lord is is tracking our attendance. Because he said they that fear the Lord spake often one to another. He, he said they're getting together often. And he's tracking our attendance. And he's tracking our progress. Because he's watching how we treat one another. And he's listening in. and He's paying attention. He's tracking our progress. He's tracking our growth. He's doing all of that. He's very much interested in what we're doing here. And And... and God is kind of like a teacher or like a principal. You know, teachers give out progress reports and then they give out, you know, uh, they give out, uh, I'm just forgetting the name of it, report cards. And they track how you're doing in this subject and that subject. And where we take our kids to school, they track character development. So we can see on a rundown of characteristics that are Christ-like, see how the children are doing in each one of those areas. They're very interested. They're watching closely, the teacher, the principal. And you know, God is infinitely more interested in you and in me than any teacher, any principal, or any parent. God is watching and he, he loves to see his people. He's so interested, that brings me to my fourth point, that the Lord treasures up our progress in a book. You notice that? Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him. He, he has this book written for them That feared the Lord and thought on his name. A book of remembrance. You know, from cover to cover in the Bible, we find that God has books. Let's turn back to Exodus 33. But before you do, just notice again at the end of that verse... Noticing that they feared the Lord and they thought upon His name. What does it mean to think upon God's name? Okay, come back to Exodus 33. We're going to go through about three or four verses. And we're going to talk about this book that God has. You ever wondered about the book, the names in the book, and God blotting out names? You ever wondered about that before? We're going to take a stab at it tonight, okay? God says He has a book of remembrance. It's not that God is going to forget But he's talking in terms that we understand. I have a book here. This book was given to me. It's a leather-bound, smith-sewn journal. It's nice. It's got my name on it. And uh, Marietta Bible College gave this to me as a gift for teaching. And I like it. It feels nice in my hands. It's got Jeremiah 17.7 on it. Blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord. And so I thought I'd put some sermons in there. I put those things down and I'll be able to look back on this and remember. But God doesn't forget. I forget. You know, I forget, but God doesn't forget. But he's got books up in heaven. You say, what do you think those are? Books. (laughs) Books. So uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. He's interested in people that are thinking on his name. What does it mean to think on his name? Does that mean we're just sitting around thinking, oh, God, God, what does God mean to me? What does that word God mean? Is that what he's talking about? Or the Lord? What does Lord mean? Well, Lord's Jehovah's, the great I am. I think that's part of it. But look at... The Lord really explains it to us. In verse 19 of chapter 33. And he said... So he's talking to Moses. Moses, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Because Moses was up on that mountain. And man, man he was getting close to the Lord. And he said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, You can't see me and live. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make all my goodness You know, we serve a good God. I don't care what this world says. They judge our God. We serve a good God. You say the God in the Old Testament? Yes. The God in the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. He is good. Infinitely good. He said, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. You see? So he doesn't leave us to wonder about what that's all about. He just tells us, this is what it means to think on my name. I'm going to proclaim it to you. I'm going to tell you all about it, and then I want you to think about it. I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. All right? So he's getting him ready. And now, in verse, chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord does it. Chapter 34, verse 6. He's got Moses in the cleft of the rock. He's covering him with his hand, you know, to protect him. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, remember the name of the Lord? Proclaimed, the Lord, that's the I am, self-existent. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant. In goodness and truth. Abundant. Whenever I think of abundance recently, I, I remember what my mom told me about my grandpa Scott. He liked to drink hot beverages. And he drank out of the old teacup, you know, with the uh, saucer. And my grandma Scott would get him real nice and hot tea or coffee. And what he'd do, because it was so hot, he'd pour out a little bit in the saucer, you know, and let it cool. And then drink a little bit out of the saucer while he's waiting for the cup. To cool off. And I just think that's a way. That, that old gospel song. I'm drinking from the saucer Lord. Because my cup is overflowed. And I think about that. That's the way the Lord is to us. He fills our cup up. And he overflows our cup. And we got to drink from the saucer. He says I'm abundant. Abundant. I lost it. <laughs> In goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, you see? All this darkness, all this wickedness that we talk about, God is able to forgive it if they'll only return to Him. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and the fourth generation. Think upon His name. That's God. That's God. A name represents who a person is. A name simply means who God is, his character. The sum total of who he is. If you want to think on God's name, think on what the Lord told Moses in Exodus 34. (laughs) Isn't that good? The Lord says, I I treasure up my people and their progress in a book. So let's look at that book of remembrance. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints have a book. Exodus 32 and verse 33. These are Old Testament saints now. These are not New Testament saints. They have a book. In it, it, Verse 33, we'll just read that verse. Exodus 32, 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Well, let's back up. To verse 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. But Moses is a broken hearted pastor and he's pleading for his people to God and asking that God would spare them. And he says, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. And it's the only time in the Bible you see this. Just a long dash. What is, what is Moses saying there? If you'll forgive their sin... And then he's thinking, maybe God won't, and maybe they don't deserve it. And, and God will by no means clear the guilty, you know. And, and if not, he just pauses there and thinks about, I don't know, that's the way I see it. He thinks about what happens if he doesn't. But, but Moses cares so much, he says, if you won't forgive their sin, then blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou... Hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And it looks like when you study the books, it looks like that everyone has their name in the book. That's what it looks like. Everyone, God knows all people, everyone has their name in the book. And it looks like that if they fail to believe in God and to obey Him, in this Old Testament setting, He blots their names out. You ever seen what it looks like when federal documents are redacted? They put that black thing that covers up the words and you can't read it anymore. you seen that on a television show or something? I suppose that's what He means. blotted out. But it looks like everyone has their name in there. And God says, I'm not going to blot your name out of there, Moses. Every man is accountable to me individually. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. All right, look at Psalm 109, verse 13. So the Old Testament saints have a book. We're looking at that right now. It's different than the New Testament saints. Psalm 109, verse 13. Right about in the middle of your Bible. And. It's an interesting verse in connection with this subject that David wrote this psalm and he's saying, God, hold not thy peace. O God of my praise, hold not thy peace, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. And David is praying what we call a precatory prayer. He's praying that God would bring judgment upon his enemies. That's an Old Testament thing. We're not to do that today. We're supposed to love our enemies, not pray against our enemies, bring, that God would bring judgment. Now, listen, the nation that sins against God, what does the Bible say? He'll, they'll, they'll be turned into hell. Every nation that forgets God, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And every nation that forgets God. That's what the Bible says. We know that's what's happening to our country. It's being turned into hell. Hell on earth. But we're not to pray that God would judge our enemies. I used to drive down the interstate every day, driving up from Marietta to Cambridge with my FedEx truck, see that filthy pornographic store, and say, God, burn that building to the ground. And I thought if I just pray that enough, maybe God will get tired of hearing me say it and just burn the thing to the ground. You know, God never did that. It's not time to burn it to the ground. That'll happen during the tribulation or at the second advent. Not to pray against our enemies like that, but he says here uh, in verse uh, 14, let the iniquities, praying against his enemies, remember, of his fathers be remembered with the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. See that? Verse 13, let his posterity be cut off and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. So these are enemies. These are wicked people. They're not children of God. David is praying against them. And David says, their names are in there. Blot them out. Well, that's a strong prayer. I don't want anybody to go to hell, but we're in their new Testament situation. And he said, let their name be. That means it looks like everybody's name is in there and it gets blotted out depending on how they respond to what God told them to do. We're told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, let's look at the New Testament's book of life. So is the book of remembrance and the book of life the same? As I stand right now, I'm going to say they're different because they're, they're called different things, but maybe they're the same. Maybe the Lord has everybody in a book, and He's keeping track of their lives, and so on. But uh, I'll just leave it at that. The New Testament saints have a book. Let's look at Philippians 4.3. So up in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. In the New Testament, that's a different book. And Philippians 4 3. And Paul is talking to the believers in Philippi. And he's telling them, You're beloved. I long to see you. You're my joy, my crown. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. All these encouraging words. You know, when we're talking to one another in the fellowship, uh, we ought to be saying things that build each other up and encourage each other, you know, and edify one another. Build each other up. And Paul did that certainly. He praised people for good things that they did. And then he says, I beseech Eodius." So he's pleading with this couple here, this, these two ladies to get along. Be of the same mind in the Lord. There's a little bit of trouble in the fellowship. He said, I just want to plead with you please get along work your differences out there was a time when paul couldn't get a whole, couldn't get along with barnabas remember that they got in an argument over john mark and they had to split ways but they were able to disagree and still keep unity uh, they just separated and he served over here and he served over there and they never talked bad about each other after that but there's times when you just don't get along with somebody else and when you do that just be of the same mind. If you can't be, then there has to be a separation, but let it all be done in peace. Verse 3, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are where? In the book of life. We find out that that's called the Lamb's book of life. Alright? Let's look at another one. Let's look at Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to tell you this on our way to Revelation. No Christian is ever told that his name is being blotted out of the book of life. No Christian in the Bible is ever told, I'm blotting your name out of the book of life. Okay? You won't find it. You can look for it with a magnifying glass. You can search for it with a searching machine. You're not going to find it. Our names are not blotted out. What's that? Because we've received Christ. We're sealed. Yes, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yep, we're in Christ. So, somebody says, well, when I got saved, I got a new name written down in glory, and I like that song. I'll sing it. I'll sing it all the way until the Lord comes back, but it just looks like our names were already written down. And that they're blotted out if we reject Jesus Christ. I think God is infinitely interested in his creation. More than we know. More than we know. I think that's why he sent his son to die for us. Everybody. He loves us that much. Uh, So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, you know. So Revelation 3, 5 says here, He that overcometh. You're in the third chapter of Revelation, looking at these seven churches, he's addressing churches now. He says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Alright, that, that uh, demands the question, how do we overcome he that overcometh, the same should be clothed white raiment. I'll not blot his name out. I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life. All right. How do I overcome? Well, we're not left to wonder about that either. <laughs> because the Bible tells us. When you compare Scripture to Scripture, we overcome by faith. That's the short answer. Now, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote three letters just prior to the book of Revelation. And he wrote those at the same time, by the way. Uh, go to First John chapter 4, verse 4. I was talking to a man one time in a church. I was actually talking to the pastor of that church at this uh, spring banquet for Marietta Bible College, and he's one of the teachers there too. And we were talking, and he said, How long has it been since you've been in my church? And I said, Ah, time goes by so fast. And it just seems like it's picking up speed. But I say, What was that, like four years ago? He said, I think four or five, something like that. And his son was there, and his son said... Uh, his son plays the organ and the piano. Isn't that something. Uh, he's a graduate of Pensacola Christian College. Somebody said, "Can you play them both at the same time?" <laughs> but uh, that'd be that'd be a trick, wouldn't it? Because with the organ, you need both feet, both hands, and with the piano, you need a foot at least and a couple of hands. But so, anyways, First John four four. Uh, but I was preaching at their church. I forgot what I was saying. And after, uh, no, before the service, there was, a, there was a mother there and there was her adult son. And he was troubled about salvation. And he asked the pastor a question about, you know, what does it mean to overcome? And, and it looks like we're going through the tribulation and can our names be blotted out of the book of life? And I said, I was just listening in and I was talking to the pastor. I said, would you mind if I sat down with him? And he said, no, I wouldn't mind at all. I sat down and I showed him what I'm just showing you right now. And he didn't receive it. I can't make anybody receive the Word of God, just take God at His Word. He he just wanted to just go on, just being troubled about salvation, thinking that somehow that, you know, he had to endure to the end and keep from taking the mark, and he wanted to live under that that false burden and that false hope, and, and I couldn't help him, but I can't change anybody's mind. It's either you're going to take God at His Word or you're not. First John 4, 4 says this "Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do we overcome? Well, you get saved. When you get saved, spirit of God comes to live within you and he's greater than all the evil in the world. He's greater than the devil. And not only that, but look at chapter five, verse four. For whatsoever is born of God, what does it say? Overcometh. Overcometh Overcometh the world. The the wicked world that God's judging. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, is there a plus sign in works? Equal salvation following that? I don't think so. Who is he that overcometh the world? but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the overcoming that John was talking about in the third chapter of Revelation. And Jesus is is speaking the words, John's recording them, and he says, If you overcome, I will not blot your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Now what do you got to do to overcome? Place your faith, your whole heart, just throw yourself upon the mercy of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And trust in Him wholeheartedly 100%. Trust all that you are to all that Christ is. You say, I'm a great sinner. Trusted all to Christ and to all that He is. He's a great Savior. He'll save you right now. He stands ready to do it if you need to be saved tonight. That's how you overcome. And, and He says, if you overcome, I will not blot your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Won't do it. So I don't know if you'll receive that or not, but that's Scripture, and that's the best the Bible interprets itself. That's how we study the Bible, compare Scripture to Scripture. We'll look at our last couple of points now back in Malachi, and we'll finish up for tonight. Not only is God intensely interested in recording our progress in a book of remembrance, we can apply that spiritually to ourselves in the church age, by the way. Uh, that God is recording our progress. God promises a special eternal relationship with Himself for all of those who fear the Lord. So back in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, verse 17, And they shall be mine. You see that? 17, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember the day that Beth and I got married. And uh, I was so nervous and people looked at me and thought I was unhappy or something. I was just standing up there and I was just nervous. And when I get nervous, I get serious. And uh, I wish I would have smiled more because I look at those pictures and I'm, what's wrong with you, you fool? Smile, you know. But anyways, <clears throat> I was nervous. But I remember after putting the ring on her hand and, and uh, walking her out of there, we were thinking, what did we just do? <laughs> but, but I thought to myself, She's mine. She's mine you know, in a loving way, a loving, intimate way. She's mine. That's what God thinks about us. They're mine. They're mine. He treasures us. And it's a special relationship that he wants to have with us. Just a couple more. Not only do we belong to him as his possession, we're like a rare and precious jewel to God. Look at verse 17 again, please. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day. You see, he's not going to throw you away. He's got you in that book of life. He's not blotting your name out. You belong to him. He's looking for some people to love in this world. Just enjoy your salvation. Put your faith in Jesus Christ Enjoy your salvation. You're going, to me- you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to confess your sins to keep your relationship right. But just say, I'm his and he's mine. So the Lord says, in that day, I'm going to make up my jewels. Just briefly on this. We are like rare and precious jewels to God. We are a special valued treasure. I've gone over. I'm enjoying myself so much. I haven't even paid attention to what the time is rare and special treasure. Think of that. Tonight, when you put your head on the pillow tonight, think that God looks at me and God thinks I am rare. I'm precious. I'm valuable. I am a treasure to God. That's how he feels about me. Lastly, God reveals himself as our heavenly father. In a family type relationship. He said, I'll spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. God says, it's like this. It's like a man with a son who's been faithful and he loves his son. God says, that's my relationship to you. I'm your heavenly father and I bring you into a family relationship. Therefore, I care for you. I protect you. I provide for you and I will chasten you when you're out of the way and correct you. But I'm trying to get you right onto the right path because as a father, I want to look down on you and smile and be pleased with what I see. It's not a legalistic, uh, slavish kind of a fear that if I do a certain amount of things, if if I wear a dress, or I wear it so long, or if I cut my hair in a certain kind of way, or if I belong to the right group of people and listen to the right kind of music, then God will love me. No, He's a loving, heavenly Father. And I don't know about you, but my dad loved me when I was out of the way and when I did things that disappointed him. He still loved me. God is better than that. God is infinitely more loving, and patient. So it's not a legalistic fear, but it's, it's, a, it's a loving, faith-based, obedient relationship that God seeks with us. So let's just stand with our heads bowed for just a moment, just to respond before the Lord. I know I've kept you over. Uh, I've enjoyed preaching today, and, and I thank you for allowing me to go through those verses. And... Um, But let's just respond to the Lord. I just got one question for you. You know, the book of Malachi, if you ever read it closely, you'll find out that he just keeps asking questions. Something like 25 questions in the book of Malachi that he keeps asking God's people. So uh, I want to ask you a question tonight and ask myself this question. Just heads bowed, eyes closed, just between you and the Lord, just for a moment. How's your report card? If God's looking down on you and He's looking down on your progress, how's your report card? And the other question I think I'd ask is this. How do you view your relationship with God? Do you see it as a loving Heavenly Father? Or do you see your relationship as a legalistic, slavish kind of a fear, fearing God's... Wrath and angry hand. I tell you it's not like that. It's the goodness of God. That leads a man to repentance. God will just show you how good he is. Make all his goodness pass before you. Till it finally melts your heart. And you repent of all your sin. And anything that hinders your relationship with him. I think tonight we could just say thank you, Lord. Love you for looking, looking into what we're doing and caring so much about it and calling us jewels and precious and the world despises us. And would you do this? Would you commit yourself to keep getting together as much as you can with God's people and fellowship and God's pleased with it. He, he keeps track of it. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. Bless your people bless your word. Father, if there's one here tonight that's not saved, I pray, Father, that they'd pull me aside as they're leaving and ask for some spiritual counsel and ask me to pray with them, Lord. And you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on anybody, but Father, you know the heart. So I pray that you'd make sure that everyone here is saved tonight. Everyone's in the book of life. Nobody's name gets blotted out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are dismissed.